The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora, welcome to Paper Cuts, the podcast all about books. No mai ki na pepakati ti pakiheri roki roki ona puka puka. Man, I'm going to get that one day. My name's Gina Todd. And I'm Louisa Cossa. And I'm Karen Das. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at papercutspod. And you can email us at papercutspod at gmail.com. Today on Papercuts, we've got book news, book reviews, not books, and our TBR pile. So just the usual menu. <laughs> and Happy New Year, everyone. Woo! Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Na mihi o te toho. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Um, but it's actually a really big time in the book world and book news, straight to book news, is the Ockham Longlist has come out for the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. Woohoo! So we've got four categories, and yeah, all the the big news was dropped yesterday. Yeah, Louisa, what did you think? Sorry, Karen's going to stand stay out of this a little bit as she's yeah. Just I'm not allowed to take. This is going to be extremely tortuous because <laughs> I can't participate in any of this Ockham chat because I'm um, a judge in one of the categories. So I have to keep mum. Sit back and relax. Really hard. Yeah. <laughs> See what we think about um, your choices. Tell us afterwards if we got anything wrong. Judge the judges. Yeah, boy. Um, yeah, so I I got up at 5 a.m. to be... Oh, you did? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I did. I thought it was a really no. solid list. I wasn't, I guess, like, maybe because you're on the panel, Karen, I was like, yeah, like, nodding along. Like, not, not like angry or shocked or surprised <laughs> or hurt really like it, no surprises um I guess I, I guess fiction is the one that I'm most interested in for a multitude of reasons not least of which is that it's the where the money is mm. big big rich prize fifty seven thousand dollars for yeah. the Jan Medlicott acorn prize for fiction shall we quickly talk about the books on the on the fiction long list or, yes. or, or what's your pick we can mention them oh well I will not say a pick, but I will. Aww. I was actually really. Um, I was. I had read most of these books. I had read eight out of ten without even trying. So that was That's like, so great. I just felt so dang good about myself. Nothing to see by Pip Adam, and she's won before, of course, with the new animals. Yeah. Feel very justified in that choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna have. 
need a bit of help with pronunciation of this name. Bugwheat by Irene Botras. Botre. Botre. Remote Sympathy by Catherine Chidji. Spriggs by Branavan Nangalingham. Victory Park by Rachel Kerr. The Swimmers by Chloe Lane. Fake Baby by Amy McDade. 2,000 Feet Above Wari Level by Eamon Mara. Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. Toto Among the Murderers by Sally Morgan. So I've read about half of those. I reckon that Pip Adam might be in with a shot again. I'm not looking at you, Karen. I'll just <laughs> neither have I. I'm avoiding Karen's eyes. <laughs> but um, I think that um, Nothing to See was probably my stand-up book of last year. Yeah, it was um, one of my favourites too. But I really there's some there's some oh it's hard. You know, I loved Fake Baby. I loved Victory Park. Those could both be in the running for the best first book as well, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, I like that there's so many debuts on the list. That's really exciting, and I one thing I really like about this list is that a lot of these books are looking at the domestic life in New Zealand. There's a couple that are really looking not at that at all and beyond, um, but it's like kind of about the world in front of you, which I like. Um, Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. You, oh, I keep going to ask you if you're going to read, read this, Karen. But yeah, of course you have. I, um, um, that's actually arrived at the library for me. I ordered it? it straight away, and I must have gotten in before anyone else did. Oh yeah, I read that last year. Last year, I read it so fast, I genuinely forgot that I'd read it. Love a few that. days later, yeah, it yeah. was just like such a compelling read. But it was kind of in my, you know, reading about sad ladies. Uh, <laughs> it's like it really fit within within that. Um, it's but kind of our wheelhouse. <laughs> it totally is. I know. Just keep going back. Um, it's like a soft warm blanket. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to review Remote Sympathy a bit later, and Louise is going to review Victory Park. Victory Park. Um, uh, More talking I can't do. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no interjections. <laughs> I think some really big news also is that the Illustrated Nonfiction Award has a brand new sponsor, which is Booksellers Aotearoa New Zealand. And that's such an awesome long list. What a oh my rich, God. beautiful um, collection. You could just have any of those on your shelf at home and be super happy. And I was reading um, the new listener today and Mark Broach had mentioned some that he thought should have been on the list. Mm. Oh, And I was like... Oh, yeah, those. Like, last year was so great for illustrated nonfiction. That's true. And poetry, Mary and Peter Biggs Award for Poetry, amazing. That list is incredible. You've got some small presses, Dead Bird Books, Compound Press, Serif Press, with some really awesome poetry. And then your, your, your usuals, but such great voices. No one too boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they're really breaking the mould of what people yeah. imagine a poet to look like and act like and write like and I yeah. feel like um, such a breath of fresh air mm, I can't say I've read any of these collections but I tend to read poems like kind of one by one like yeah so I'll have to do some sampling totally just you know while well, you're at the bookstore yeah and general non-fiction this is a pretty good list, I reckon. I really liked this Pākehā Life by Alison Jones. Oh, cool. And I really liked The Dark is Light Enough, the Ralph Holtere, um 
yeah, those are wonderful yeah, books. Yeah, I love those too. And um, Specimen's Really Great by Madison Hamill. Um, a Specimen by Madison Hamill is also fantastic. Have you read that? Yeah. Ah, oh, cool. Um, going back to the illustrated nonfiction, I just wanted to say probably really rooting for Observations of a Rural Nurse <gasps> and oh. Hiakai. Those are both such beautiful books. I love Observations of a Rural Nurse. How good is that? Um, I bought it for someone for a present for Christmas and then I didn't give it to them because uh, I get to for myself. <laughs> you have to have that book. Sorry, Mum. <laughs> I kind of feel like um, I want to really want to see more from her, but um, I feel like she's kind of the new Arns Westra, Marty Friedlander photographing New Zealand around her, rural New Zealand around her. And um, I really, yeah. I saw the show at Anna Miles Gallery too. Oh, it's cool. Beautiful. Yeah. Is that still on or was it ages ago? It was ages ago. Oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't on for very long, was it? No, and gosh, that gallery is so cool that it's open like yeah. two and a half days a week or something. Yeah, for like so two and a half gotta, hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great life for a gallery owner. Um, so, I mean, we'll put a link up to everything on, on our um on our little thing that you link on. Yeah, man. And you can see them all. But, you know, this should be your reading list for the year. Exactly. Yeah. Into that. Totally. And we've reviewed a lot of these already before, so hopefully they're all on the top of your mind anyway, on the top of your piles <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> yes, have you been paying attention? Yeah, that's right. Um, so the next part of news is the same, same, but different festival. Who wrote that on the list? I wrote it. I thought you might have. Um, so I harvested that from, I think, the Booksellers newsletter or the Pans newsletter. Um, but, yeah, just wanted to give a shout-out. It's the LGBTQI um, Books Festival. And uh, this year it's going to be held in the Ellen Melville Centre in, in central Auckland. Um, so this festival was actually started by Peter Wells before he died. And I hope to go this year. Um it's, I think it's going to be really great. And I really like to support kind of smaller festivals as well as our friends at the big ones. Cool. Um, well, the great thing it about it, they're all free, aren't they? Yeah. All the, all the events. Yeah. yeah. It's which great. So it's cool. a really great, quite a young skewing um, festival, which is really cool. So hopefully I can go there and like maybe some of their cool young person cred will rub off, rub off on me. <laughs> 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 um, and then... Thirdly, you can probably talk about this, Karen. Hooray. Yeah. Was it was it me that put it on? No, you? it was me, it was. but I no, thought of you as I did it. I, I do. Look, I love the Rathbines um, Folio Prize. It always has books really in line with my reading tastes. And you'll probably know that it was established in 2014 um, when the sponsors sort of felt like they didn't really like the direction that the Booker Prize was going on, that it was becoming quite popular, quite commercialised and quite monetised. Um, so they established it to kind of celebrate literary fiction and um, as a whole as well, so not just kind of really focusing on one book. Um, so last year, Valeria Lewis-Sally won the prize for her book that Louisa reviewed for us, The Lost Children Archive, and Constellations by Sinead Gleeson, um, which we've reviewed on the pod, um, was also on the shortlist. And this year, Sinead is one of the judges, Yeah, which is really cool. And it is an amazing long list. It's fantastic. Um, 
and another amazing reading list for everyone. Of course, I'm really thrilled that Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart is on there. Yay. Um, oh, my God, that's another... finally arrived at the library for me. I'm so excited. Oh. <laughs> and I've oh, all... that's so great. And I also um, just, like, as I opened the Rathbones Folio Prize long list, I just opened my library in a different tab and just ordered <laughs> all the rest <laughs> that I hadn't read. Yeah. So there's another book on the long list that I really liked last year called As You Were by the Irish writer Elaine Feeney. Oh, that looks and, good. And, yeah, it's really good. And um, Sarah Baum's Handiwork, which I really loved as well, and that's published by Tramp Press, a publisher I really like. And that's a gorgeous little um, gentle book. Um, and another book that's on the long list, which is actually still on my TBR pile, is The Appointment by Katerina Volkmer published by the excellent Fitzgerald editions um so but there's another book on the long list that I've been wanting to read for such a long time and it is A Ghost in the Throat by Darina Griefer who is an Irish writer and she was here for Lit Crawl in 2018 in Wellington and I remember walking past her on Cuba Street and thinking far out there's my Irish sister <laughs> she has this amazing black bob um she stole your look <laughs> but um maybe if I can track a copy of that down I can review it on a on a future pod. That's, and another that's great been book. hard to get that book. Yes. FYI. Yes, I, I understand. Yeah. That's why I say if I can yeah. get my hands on a copy. Um another great book on the long list is Just Us, um, An American Conversation by Claudia Rankin, which I haven't read but I'd really like to. Um so the winner's announced on March twenty four, but yeah, great, great worthy That's really fiction prize. Yeah. So do they go from long list to winner? No, they go from long list to short list. The short list is February the tenth. Oh, far out. Boom boom boom. So fast. So efficient. Yeah. What does the winner win? I don't know. I think it might be a money it's a money prize. Mm. But it's not as much as the Jan Medlicott <laughs> Prize for fiction. No way. Nothing is. <laughs> I think that's yeah. all the news. The Occam's is the really the big cheese, eh? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the news. That's and oh we should say with the Occam's is that the shortlist comes out on March the third and the winner is the twelfth of May. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be able to have a glittering event this time, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping. I'm on... I'll feel ripped off if we, yeah. ripped off if we yeah. don't. Exactly. <laughs> can I be a judge again so I can go to a ceremony? Please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Karen, do you want to start with your book review? Oh yeah, sure. So I've been reading Gangland by Jared Savage, um, published by HarperCollins New Zealand, and so I've been having a bit of a moment where I've been really interested in, um, in reading about and watching documentaries on gangs and true crime in New Zealand. And I think it kind of started when I was commissioned to write an essay for Stuff, a personal essay, and I was thinking about gangs in Hamilton. So at Christmas, I read um, Jared Gilbert's Patched, A History of Gangs in, the, in New Zealand, which was from 2013. And then I read Jared Savage's book, um, Gangland, which was just published in December. And, I mean, they're quite different books, but they're kind of, you know, quite good companion books. And um, the focus here is on New Zealand's um, underworld of organised crime. So it's just this really engrossing page-turner, um, investigative true crime book. And 
it's kind of one of those books that you really do stay up late to read. I sort of was, it was quite relaxing for me to sort of read something a bit different um, alongside some of the Ockham books that I had to read, um, New Zealand fiction. So Jared Savage was actually in my journalism class um, at journalism school. And um, when we did the postgrad journalism course, and he went on to be an investigative reporter for the New Zealand Herald, and I went on to do paper cuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the big time? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> um, um, it's, I just wanted to know. It's so buzzy that it's so buzzy that they're both called Jared. I know. <laughs> it's spelled different. Spelled differently, but. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's quite confusing for the the customer. I bet, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that the off my about, chest. It's a book about gangs by some guy named Jack. <laughs> yeah, God, <laughs> well, I've already got that one. It's got like a gang member on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Black, white, and red. Yeah, cover. yeah. <laughs> very on brand. Um, so Simon Bridges um, reviewed this book on The Reading Room. I don't know if either of you read it. Did you read his review? I, I, saw, saw, people, <laughs> I saw people tweet about it, but they Same. didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> Professional. And so so old Bridges describes it as a series of rip-snorting yarns about gangs, drugs, fancy cars, wads of cash, violence and guns, Aotearoa, New Zealand style. Um, And, uh, yeah, I can't argue with that. You really can't. Um, So it begins with Savage as a crime reporter at the Herald, and he's sort of starting out, I think it might have been around 2006, and he's sort of hanging out at Auckland District Court and going to trials and kind of hearing people's stories and um, kind of became a bit obsessed with investigating these crimes and um, also New Zealand's growing obsession with um, methamphetamine and the characters that inhibit that kind of criminal underworld and I mean honestly some of the stuff that he relays in the book many New Zealanders probably don't even know goes on you know it's so kind of like it really is like a seedy underbelly Um, and the first case study that he's got here is a real life Walter White from Breaking Bad uh, it's a guy named William Wallace, and he was made redundant from a successful job at Air New Zealand. He was an industrial chemist, and he kind of, I think, established one of the first clandestine meth labs in New Zealand, and um, these Asian organised crime syndicates, businessmen, gangs like the Hells Angels, Highway 61, Headhunters, Mongrel Mob, Black Power, um, some of it's really dark and disturbing and violent um and other times you're just sort of shaking your head and but there's also real criminal moments of real kind of scooby-doo kind of ineptitude <laughs> and activity which Love is it. a little bit cra- it's a bit crack up as well um so what he does is sort of highlight the subtle shifts um in the multi-million dollar enterprise of organized methamphetamine trafficking and the business of it and how it became such a kind of um, booming business and also he looks at the investigative techniques that are used by the police to crack down on the criminals in a kind of cat and mouse game and um, I mean some of the character stories are really fascinating and it just kind of rolls along I think anyone can read it it's um got a lot of details like facts and figures and names 
Um, but it's pretty pacey and it accelerates as the book progresses, you know, like these gold-plated Harley Davidsons and just kind of preposterous um, stuff like that and sort of corruption <laughs> not and playing friends under the, crossing each other. They're not playing hey. under the radar. <laughs> they're not, yeah. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> it's, um, it's not a super long book and I'm wondering how much he gets into uh, why particular gang members are where they are, what their history is and how they got to that point in their lives. Yeah, he sort of does because he, I mean, it's all very compact and I guess that's the journalist's style to be very kind of pack, pack the information and the facts. And so the writing is not beautiful and it's not polished, but it doesn't need to be. It's just kind of very fact sort of driven. And I guess in a way, I think there's 12 um they're like character studies, so he sort of does go into the backstory of um, people falling on hard times, friends falling out on each other, um, family lives and relationship dynamics and things like that. So you do get a little bit of insight there. And do you think there's like empathy towards that in his style, or is it more just the facts? It is very fact-focused, but every now and then you do... There'll be a little comment there where he'll sort of say something derogatory about gangs or police um and in a way he's sort of on the fence Mm. kind of not not a participant but as an observer Mm. yeah so how would you what would you say are the other differences between this jared's book and the other jared's book yeah so the other jared book (laughs) jared gilbert (laughs) that was much more what i was um looking to read at the time it was more like a kind of cultural and social history of gangs in New Zealand and um so you know I could go to the index and look up gangs and yeah what gangs I wanted to know about this one doesn't have an index which it just I just think is really poor you know do you think it needs one like there are names that you'd like to look up oh I mean it's filled with names yeah that does seem a little crazy it's just, I don't know if that's like a money thing. Um, it can you be. Know, and a labour, yeah, <laughs> a, a money, time and labour thing. But yeah. that, that is really disappointing in a book like this. Yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, the other one is very much about gangs in New Zealand. And this is more sort of like the underworld drug crime. Right. Underbelly. It's a little bit more focused yeah. on that, on yeah. those aspects. Yeah. But great companion books. Yeah. So um, I've, I've been really enjoying having that little moment. <laughs> <laughs> that moment away from New Zealand fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good palate cleanser. So that's, um, yeah, it's just a really compelling, compelling yarn, I think. He does actually say at the end, he, there is a little bit where he sort of talks about how, you know, we need to look at how we um, treat drug drug crimes and drug drug abuse and that, you know, it's more of a health issue than a, a crime issue. So I think that was a really interesting Hell yeah. point. Yeah, and something that we, you know, know. <laughs> but it, it was cool. It was really it was really cool that he sort of acknowledged that, I think. I, yeah. And if you're interested in more of that, there's that book called Chasing the Scream by mm. their name is I can't remember the name. Johan. Yeah. Something double barrel. Yeah. That's a really great book about drugs being a health yes. issue. Oh, cool. I haven't heard of it. It's That's why really I was staring great. at you blankly. Oh, it's, and it's about looking at different countries where they've legalised certain drugs or all drugs and mm. how that has actually, it's more, it's definitely a pro 
drugs as a health issue instead than yeah. having access and then uh, treatment for people. So you could, like, on your lunch break, you can get your little injection of heroin and then go back to yeah. work and function right on. as a human. Yeah. <laughs> Jenna, actually, Mary Home was on, um, you know, the finance writer. Yeah. Mary Home, she was on um, RNZ and she was doing her sort of her bookmark session with, um, I think it was Emile Donovan, and she was talking about her favourite books and films and that was one book that she um, spoke about and highly recommended and I thought it was really great to have someone like Mary Home, like this kind of respectable figure that a lot of boomers probably look up to and hearing her kind of say, um, you know, that... Drugs are cool. This is how, yeah. <laughs> Just joking. Yeah, it's a health issue. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, um, it was awesome. Yeah. And I tell you what, the boomers love Mary Helm. I just, yeah. don't know so who they she's love a more. boomer influencer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was cool that you know she oh, was that's speaking cool. to them. That was because yeah. they did bookmarks every day. Yeah. With um staff of RNZ Day, they were quite good to yes. listen to. It was so cool. I loved the um that guy that I really like, Giles Beckford. His one was really cool. Oh, did he talk? So, what did he like? So brainy. Oh gosh, it was one of the first ones I listened to. But he um the song he played was by the woman who does the backing vocals for Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones, but it was her version of the song. It was so cool. And he had really good taste in films and books, but don't ask me what he recommended because it was a while ago. We can link that. I love his yeah. voice. So do I. Oh, hell yeah. He always sounds like voice. he's eating a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Oh, that's a great review. Thanks. Thanks, Karen. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, I, <laughs> saw that I really want to be able to talk about this book. Oh, can't you just like a little bit? Like... I have so much to say. <laughs> well, maybe you could make some really neutral comments if the, if the mood takes you. <laughs> um, can't wait. Okay, well, so I'm reviewing Victory Park by Rachel Kerr. It's published by Makaro Press. Um, came out last year, right? Late last year? Um, Karen. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, so Je- my dear friend Jenna Todd gave this to me for my birthday. And You're she welcome. said, it's set in Newtown. And I was like, oh, my God, because I grew up in Newtown. Um, and I didn't realize at first that it's – kind of set in the famous council flats of Newtown Um, so they are a very if you've ever been to Newtown like around the zoo like they're a very dominating feature of the skyline in Newtown so Newtown was like when I was growing up it was like a fairly working class suburb um, and my parents bought like a crumbling villa Um, you know a very a very 90s early 90s story of gentrification (laughs) (laughs) and um I have to admit, like, I went to creche right by those council flats and I lived on the same street for ages, but I have never been inside those council flats. And so for me, it was it was really interesting to read something that was it doesn't say that it's set there. No, but it was extremely interesting to read something that was set there because they've always been quite a mysterious building to me. Um, and I think that that kind of plays in quite neatly to the fact that in this book there is a lot of um, really nuanced exploration of class. 
Um, so we have um, our protagonist is named Kara, and she's a single mum, and she lives in the flats, and she looks after other people's children on a casual, um, like cash basis. One of the <laughs> one of the women who's the woman, the main person whose children she looks after, Joe, is just such a twat. Like <laughs> she's. <laughs> She's just unbelievable, but in a but also in a very believable way, and um, so she's so Joe is Joe is a middle class mother of two, and Kara looks after her kids on a casual basis, and Joe is just anytime Kara wants like a tiny bit of flexibility um, or anything, just like a bone, like Joe is obviously just like feels that she's in a position where she can just be like no, and like how inconvenient and like. It's it's really cringe. Um, it's actually, it's not funny, but I think Joe is portrayed in ways that at times made me kind of laugh bitterly a bit because she's just mm-hmm. such a nightmare. Um, but anyway, Kara's just, you know, like minding her own business, um, minding other people's kids, and she meets this, this woman moves in to the flats and she's obviously much more affluent than the other people who live in the flats. And she is, her name's Bridget, and she's quite, um, quite uh, alluring, I would say. And she and Kara strike up a friendship. And at first it seems like Bridget sees Kara and sees kind of what she has to offer. And they do seem to have a genuine connection, which um, is kind of quickly eroded by the fact that it comes out that Bridget's husband has recently been disgraced um, because he was running a Ponzi scheme and the people who he had essentially swindled out of their money are extremely angry and the fact that Kara is friendly with this woman kind of pits her against her neighbours a bit and um, prior to that she'd been in quite a close-knit community with these neighbours and and had some really lovely relationships. Um, So there's a lot... (laughs) There's a lot going on, but at the same time, you mentioned earlier, I think, Jenna, that there's a certain domesticity to a lot of the books on the Occam Long List, and I think that's that's really true here. It's there's a really beautiful, close attention to detail. Like in the first in the first scene, um, Kara's son Jaden is like picking up little bits and bob. He's like five years old. He's picking up like little like silver gum wrappers and like pink paper clips and handing them to Kara and they just they just have their it's just that lovely world that parents have with their children that's so close and so um, full of imagination but also very tied to the everyday um, so I really I tore through this book in a weekend the weekend after you gave it to me I really really enjoyed it however I think I I worried when I came in here that I wouldn't have much to say about it. Mm. And I'm not quite sure why that is. I think that's just because, for one thing, I feel like a certain constraint because I'm talking about a different class, but also one that was very close to me when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to be a Joe or a Bridget uh. <laughs> 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 or a Karen. <laughs> 
one, but it's also a very quiet book, right? Yeah, it's a quiet book. It yeah. is, and it doesn't leave. It doesn't crash over you like a wave. It's more like a little pebble dropped into a into a still pond. In terms of, you know, I th- I think about this book, but it didn't like, it didn't like, yeah, knock me over. Um, but yeah, I would be really interested to hear what, obviously, what both of you thought. But um, I can only ask Jenna. <laughs> Karen, I'm assuming that you liked it because it's on the long list. <laughs> I think um, this book really spoke to me because I did grow up in a single parent household in the way that she did. I mean, we didn't live in a block of flats, but we lived in this like South Dunedin. It's like everyone lives really close to each other and we're in semi-detached places and everyone was in like my parents didn't live together but my dad was in walking distance from my house and then my auntie was in walking distance from my house and um, I think it's really easy for some books and I'm going to compare this a little bit to Shuggy and not as a diss to Shuggy Bane but you know how you have the wee boy and the mum and it's quite it's quite grimy but glamorised grimy like you know she's got in Shuggy you mean? in Shuggy Bane so she's you know, he's got a little, he's got, he's different and he, you know, he's different to all the other kids and then she's different as well and she's very glamorous. Where in Victory Park, that, like, Kara is just like, you wouldn't even look twice at her on the street. She's just, she's just doing her thing and her son isn't remarkable in any way. He's just like a kid. And yeah. um, it really talks about, like, being a single parent is actually really boring and you can't do anything and you can't afford to go out and so it's actually quite isolating. Right. And, and you can't do anything without your kid, so you're tied to kid-friendly activities. Yeah, that's right, knows but very boring. free kid activities. And um, my auntie was that house where all the other kids came to the house. So, And I, I was one of those kids, so my mum would go to work and I'd walk around and... Um, there was just like all these random kids there. It was like the home play centre. Um, and so just, uh, yeah, it's really spoke to me. But then also that um, I find like growing up like that, whenever I've been connected to people who are a lot wealthier and there's been times where I've worked for people who are very wealthy or like come into their world a little bit, you're so interested in seeing that other side and you can see how you she's kind of like... drawn in. Yeah, this person kind of treats me like shit, but... Mm. their world is so different to mine that I just want to observe it. And so I think she really catches that. I used to do ironing for this really rich lady. Oh, my God. I used to love (laughs) hearing the stories about that that lady. It was great. Like, she didn't work, and that's cool, So, but I'll come around and do ironing. In Auckland? Yeah, in Auckland. And she she would just, like, sit in the smart smoking weed and talk to me while I was... um, I'm legally wearing like a silk kimono, drapey outfits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, and she was like, yeah, it was just, it's a different world when you're like kind of working for that person as well. So I felt that I just, yeah, mm. it connected to me in so much, so many ways, and I really like kind of got it. Um, and that a look from both of them, how she like um, Bridget's like kind of interested in the like being poor and it's like oh look at this this is interesting but you know she's never going to be like that forever yeah and then you can, she's very much just dipping a toe she's yeah. slumming it as she, they say and right and uh Kara's going to be you know there's no there's 
no end in sight for Kara. Mm. It's just the way it is. And and her mum is in a similar situation as well. This is women yeah. just like living quite a boring, quiet life. I really like what you say, Jenna, about the boringness of being a solo parent. We could probably link to my interview with Rachel Kerr that I did for The Herald. Yeah. But one line that she said that really stood out to me was, you know, when you're stuck at home in that way, there's a lot of time to stare at the carpet that you don't like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that domesticity and boredom and being in close quarters that you can't escape from. Oh, it was so yeah. good to talk about that with you, Jenna. That was awesome. Thank you. You're I, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. I mean, I reviewed this on BFM and we'd, they'd played a Jarvis Cocker song just before we went on. and. Was and it, it just people? like click. it wasn't common people, but it clicked, and I was just like, "Oh my god, it's like common people." It is like common people. Yeah. And she emailed me afterwards and was like, "Yes, <laughs> common people." <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I think it, yeah, it's I think it's really well worth a read. And um, I'd also like to point out this is Makoto Press's uh, f- fiction release for like 2020 and they they published Owe which won last year indeed yes indeed um they're doing amazing work love them it's great uh so I guess I'll go on my sorry I feel like I've been talking so much but um I'm just going to review <laughs> it remote, is a podcast no, yeah. great. <laughs> uh, um, I'm just going to review Remote Sympathy by Catherine Chidji and you know, after we recorded our last podcast and I was talking about, like, being sick of World War Two books, I actually felt really bad about that. And I'd like to apologise because <laughs> it's just actually such a stupid thing to say because it feels like you're dismissing a whole sweeping six million kind of, murders, yeah. you know. But yeah, um, yeah. No, but it, no, it's different, though. And, like, I, yeah, oh, sorry, you know. <laughs> Don't get me started. But I do find, like, and now since I've read this book and loved it, and when I try and sell it to people, they say the same thing. Like, <laughs> I'm know, so sick of World well, War II Do you books. know what? I, I really think that it's because too many people do write about it, but without a much enough commitment and without enough, enough respect. Like, actually, like, the amount of mass market romance that they're just like, chuck a World War II fucking label like bottle on it like label on it and it it just makes it makes me furious because i it's garbage it's fucking garbage and like which remote sympathy is definitely not so exactly exactly so with all that in mind (laughs) this was my 500 page book that i read over the summer and i just like devoured it in a day and a half i was doing fuck all the whole time like you know all i did was read it in like in different, like, like a cat, like moving around in the sun patches. And um, Catherine Chidji wrote a book called The Wish Child, which won the Acorn Fiction Prize. When I read that, it was the year of All the Light We Cannot See, and I found them. Was that 2017 or 2016? I think something earlier. Like that. Yeah, maybe 2016. I was yeah. still working in the shop at that Were time. You? Yeah. Well, that ah. was like in my final years. Anyway. Um, that was in the year of All the Light We Cannot See, which I found those books quite similar. So I felt like that was the detriment of The Wish Child in my own head. And then I loved her book, Beat of the Pendulum. I, that was very, very different. It was like... Mm. Conceptual. Conce- it was definitely conceptual. And then so Remote Sympathy has gone back to Germany, which Catherine has spent a lot of time living in. She speaks fluent German, which actually helped with her research for this. So... 
This is set in the infamous Nazi camp Buchenwald, and the reader is given the perspective of four characters. You have Leonard Weber, who is a doctor, and he's an inventor. So he's invented this machine that, like you, that he hopes will cure cancer. Like you put it, it puts pulses through tumors on your body. Like, I mean, obviously it didn't. It's not going to work. <laughs> but this is what he was hoping. It's woo woo. It's <laughs> yeah. and he is he is um, not Jewish kind kind of, but his um, wife is Jewish. Therefore, their child is Jewish. Then you have um, Dietrich Hahn, who's this SS commander, and his wife Greta. So you hear from them both separately, and they've been posted at this Buchenwald, which is a labour camp. And then also the last voice that you hear are the collective voices of 1,000 Weiner, is it Weiner? Weidner? Weiner citizens. Um, so what you, you are... You are hearing from Leonard and Dietrich. Is that how you say? I can't pronounce Dietrich. German. Dietrich. <laughs> just say really it. Good. Just say it how you want. Okay. So you're hearing from them post after the fact. So they're being interviewed. Oh, one's a letter. So Leonard's writing letters. Um, Dietrich is being interviewed for like a court case, I guess. And um, Greta is in present tense, and then the Weibner citizens are in after the fact. Is I'm pretty sure that after the fact or around the present tense as well. And so what you have is um, Leonard's invented this machine to cure cancer. Dietrich is like feeling like he's doing his job. And then Greta has come in. She's a really interesting character because she's like has this really cushy life in um, Munich. And she's come in and she's like, this is great. Like I can order the curtains that I want because I'll just get made or like get this handcrafted uh, like case. But you know, Fuck. and they're just like, but my oh, but the my butler is my a prisoner. <laughs> yeah, he's a, and so she's trying to work it out, and the other wives are like, not nah, so good. You know, <laughs> just just order what you want. Um, they'll Jesus. make it. Um, and you. But I think I should be able to say this, is that Greta gets cancer. So you know that these people are all going to link up at mm. some point because of this machine that was invented in the 30s. And what it really is, it's this book about collective consciousness of people turning a blind eye to something. Because Dietrich, in his, um, when he's talking about what's happened in the past, he's very. It's. I actually think it's quite darkly funny. He's like, "Oh, but I didn't know about that, and then oh, I right. only knew about what wink, I wink. was working right in front <laughs> of." And um, it's just a. It's a really thoughtful and thorough character study, and y- you can probably like stick it on something contemporary that's happening and that will be happening and. So it feels very contemporary, even though it's writing about this horrible historical place. And then I think the collected voices of the Weibner um, citizens is probably the most scary because you can just, it's just so real. And then how, um, how they, you can feel like how, I mean, maybe a way you can look at it's like the way that people have 
voted for, and I'm just putting my own politics on it, voted for Donald Trump, but being like, oh, but I only like, you know, like I didn't like the stuff that he said about this and I don't support white supremacy. But so I was so surprised when they stormed the Capitol. That's not what I thought was happening. So it's Mm. just kind of has that really contemporary feel to it. It's so engrossing. It's just a really, really good read. That's, yeah, that's what I think. Does it make you want to read it? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to read it. Like, yeah, I think when we've talked in the past about World War II books, it's, yeah, it's that whole thing of like, you don't want, I don't want to read crappy World War II books. I don't want to read cynical World War II books. I had family who were involved in World War II and who were murdered. Mm. So, you know, but I think even if that wasn't the case, I don't like shitty writing and I don't like shitty writing yeah. that capitalizes on a massive fucking tragedy. Yeah. Um, so, it's no, so I, I 100% yeah. want to read this. I've been meaning to read The Wish Child for a really long time. I was put off by the by the absolutely hideous cover. It is atrocious. That's a terrible cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never isn't it? <laughs> Don't get me started on covers. Oh, I know. Me too. I liked this so much better than The Wish Child. Interesting, because yeah. everyone fucking loved The Wish Child. Okay, so do you think I should start with this? Yeah. Okay. Just and then dive if I, straight and into it. And then if it. I'm still hungry, yeah. then I'll... Do the wish child. So yeah, I just think it's well researched. It's funny. It's sad, and it just makes you think like, "Fuck, you don't want anything like this repeating itself." Do you know? You just have to like remind yourself how shit that was. That's absolutely true. I think anything that brings home just how awful it was and kind of like maybe reinforces some the kind of parallels with today. Like, that's, that's so valuable. That's mm. something that you just can't have enough of, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's great. I'm, I'm not surprised at all that it was on the long list, but um, <laughs> I'm glad that it is. Yeah. Poor Karen's just <laughs> smiling, <laughs> just smiling and smiling. I'm just, that's um, all I'm she just can sitting do. here smiling along like the villagers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's all I can do. Now you'll be able to p- participate because we're no, not going to talk about books anymore. We're talking about not books. <laughs> yeah, thank God. So uh, sick of yeah, talking about so books. But yours is brief. The little note says. Well, yeah, well, we'll just because I, I sort of thought, oh gosh, I didn't really have anything, but then I thought, um, you know, it's always a scramble, isn't it? Every month, every month. Oh god, our our lives are books. But um, I was thinking that the great director Michael Apted passed away a few weeks ago, and I just wanted to highlight his Seven Up um, series, which is one of my favourite works of documentary. I haven't already talked about this on the podcast, have I? Now. Did they have something at the film festival a few years ago? I think it's yes, distinctly they've... possible that we have talked about it on the podcast before, but it was a long time ago. And so. also, with we've probably talked about everything before. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just yeah, I'm going to do a little rave about it because um, he directed these quite groundbreaking um, documentaries. It started in 1964. He was a research assistant on the first one and. Okay, so what it is, um, 1964, I think it was maybe ITV or BBC, um, started with a group of um, seven-year-olds from different walks of life um, in Britain, and they are interviewed about their lives and their thoughts, and um, they're supposed to be from varying social classes, and he goes back and he interviews them every seven years. So we meet them when they're seven, and then we meet them again when they're 14 and 21 and so on. 
which I think is such an extraordinary idea, and it's all in real time, of course. You have to wait seven years for the next one to come along. Um, And you see their lives documented, and it's kind of like reality TV, proto-reality TV. Do you know what I mean? I'm listening. It's just just extraordinary. Um, The last one was 63 up, so, you know, we've sort of been with them um, from seven years old uh, the 63, I think that was um, a few years ago. Some people have kind of fallen away, but um, it's really sad that he's passed away because the next one would be 70. Oh, I hope someone else can um, do it. Well, I sort of I've thought about this because he wasn't the first one to do it. He was a research assistant on the first one. But how do you kind of replicate and how does someone jump in after all of these like literal decades of trust building um he's kind of part of their lives you know he became part of their lives and it's quite intimate and revealing so maybe there is a lot of tension about it being a real burden for them Mm. um it's something they have to do and some of them actually fall away some of them fall away and come back but maybe him passing away will be an excuse for them to sort of be like, oh, no, it's over now. Or maybe they you know can do I mean? a reflection piece where it's not in the same structure, but you can get yeah, but at 70 or I don't know. Yeah. It is such seriously compelling and I think essential viewing. And if you haven't watched them, I highly recommend it. It sort of hits all the spectrum of emotion. You become really attached to them. And you can't wait to see what's kind of happened to them. Like, oh, what's happened to Neil? Is he okay? And how's Vicky doing? And what's Bruce up to now? And um, it's fascinating to see them evolve through the decades and kind of form as people. I mean, when we meet them, they're like really naive little um, seven-year-olds full of vim and vigor. And then actually when you meet them again at 14, there's one guy, he's got dark circles under his eyes and you can see the unravelling begin. Um, That's Neil and you sort of, you're always really worried about Neil. Neil. Um, What's happening to Neil? I feel like, I feel like when we last talked about it, we maybe talked about Neil. This is ringing a bell. Or like maybe he's the one that people always refer to when they talk about this series. But then it kind of changes as, I watched the last one recently and... Yeah, I had a different kind of feeling about Neil. So, um, and then they, the last one actually, Brexit was happening. So we get to hear all their views about that. It's just really, really astonishing. There's nothing like it. It is really, really remarkable documentary filmmaking. Karen, where um, is there a easy and legal place for us to watch these, or do we have to do our own, do our own research, <laughs> as they say? <laughs> I actually think, I actually think some of them are all on YouTube or online. Oh, cool. They're definitely around, okay. yeah. I actually had a box um, box DVD set that I, when I moved house recently, um, gave <gasps> it away to the like, recycle centre. Oh <laughs> Just getting rid of I guess stuff. who has a DVD player these days? Well, yeah. Oh, I don't have we a DVD do. player. Um, did you? <laughs> yeah, but um, all, our, all, our, all our DVDs are at my partner's place at the moment because we can't put them in our house. Um, did you guys watch Child of Our Time by Robert Winston? No, but I've heard about it. Is it kind of similar? Yeah, he visits them. Or was it based on it? He visits, I don't know if it, it must have been based on it in some way and it's, um, it's, he visits them every year, I think. And mm. um, I'm not sure when it stopped, but I always think about that because 
my mum made me sit down and watch the puberty episode. That was... Are those? Do you remember those? Sure do. Sure do. I had to watch them in science, I think. Yeah. But and the birth stuff was... Um, it's the, the source of a lot of mirth in my all-girls school, sci- <laughs> like fourth-form science class. And I'll never forget because he says one of the first lines of the first episode is, you've already done the most dangerous thing you can do, which is be born. That wow, makes me feel good. So heavy. You've <laughs> done it. That's you're soothing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so those, those days that you're lying on the couch feeling like you haven't achieved anything, you've been born, so you've done all you can do. You've done the yeah, work. Yeah, you've done the work. <laughs> I was thinking Amazing. maybe more the next time you're feeling terrified about something. Oh, okay. Well, like, yeah, that's probably terrified. Terrified. <laughs> yeah. But both apply. Um, oh, cool. I, I, th- I haven't watched that, but I should watch it because I think I'll really like it. Yeah. It's so cool. It's real cracker, real involved. You get right, right into it. Yeah. I love a doco. So I'm just going to talk about a little article that I read recently. It's by old mate, I've bloody forgotten how to say his name, Carl Overnauskas? Over? Yep, that's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, great. It is. Canalsgard. <laughs> Canalsgard, that's right, Canalsgard. Um, so old mate Carl um, wrote a piece for the Paris Review blog, and it's called What Writers and Editors Do. And I, so I, I find his writing very compelling, very insightful, but at times very annoying. And this is no different. Um, <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so I, um, I actually read a little while ago, um, but he talks about, you know, just the, just what it's like. I think he does a really good job of describing what it's like to be a young person and be Chilling in a more chilling in a cafe, and you know, wanting to be a writer and writing, and just nothing happening, and just getting nowhere, and just being feeling like a nobody, and then the thrill of being published, and and then he really goes into the the nuances and complexities of the author editor relationship, and describes what it's like to be edited by someone that you really trust, and I think that he does a really good job of conveying just how fraught that is and but also how the the different wants and needs of the two parties you know the editor wants the book to be the best it can be and that is their number one concern they do not care about the feelings of the author like you know those are so secondary they're not there to give you feedback they're not there to feed your ego um and they will say shit that is upsetting or kind of throw throw you off balance um, and so I, I just think if you're interested in that stuff, and I find weirdly a lot of people are, um, mm. then it's definitely worth a read. But then, of course, there are always, like, such annoying things in his work, and part of them are just, like, because of who he is, where he comes from, how old he is. Um, and kind of his persona and image, right? Yeah, very, very macho, um, very kind of, like aging rock and roll hipster kind of although having said that though I was so surprised when I saw him at the writers festival a few years ago in Auckland at the Auckland writers yeah. festival and he was not that persona at all no he was well, he? He, was, he was so different that's the thing. In, in real life he knows he's so sexy, kind though. of like humble oh, sure does and do <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that girl who came up to ask a question and at the end she just said, I love 
love you. <laughs> oh my if, gosh! It was as if the words just came out unbidden. <laughs> and she's like, did I say that out loud? We all collectively Cringe. died, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the thing. I think that there's, that's why I find him interesting as a writer. There is this kind of macho persona but he also is very aware of it and I think plays with it as well yeah and and really does show vulnerability but yeah there's just things about like the writers are all male that he talks about the editors are all male and that's partly just a product of his environment he also makes a comment about how editors should not be critics which really got my goat oh um, that's interesting because a lot of people have opinions about that don't they um editors who are critics exactly and I'm someone who is both an editor and a critic so I was um really mad (laughs) (laughs) I was furious no but um I don't agree, and I think that like making bold statements like that is always just a mistake, and you're going to look like an idiot because it just varies on a case by case basis. And um, but yeah, really cool article. Um, a Paris Review blog actually delivers a lot of great content. It's so good. It's isn't so it? consistent. So good. You just get so many like superstar authors writing really personal pieces that are bite sized. They're not too long. They're just like. You know, the perfect little afternoon, like, snack when you're browsing on Twitter. But then they have amazing long pieces as well that you can really get stuck into. Yeah, I mean, this was actually quite long, but that's very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> I have to read it. Yeah, I reckon, you'd I'd be, I reckon you'd like it. I think it's really interesting. I'd love to I'd hear I'd love your to read it. Thinking about um, editors and sort of criticism and the role of the editor – have you guys seen that picture? Um, who's the famous editor? Is it Gordon Lish? Is it Gordon Lish? Oh. He was Raymond Carver's oh, yes. editor. And, yes. there's, and, and there's this amazing um, image of a Raymond Carver manuscript, or it's a page, and it's just completely marked oh, up yeah. with completely chocker with about um, that. Oh, um, I have to oh, read it. Oh, it's so interesting. Okay. And, um, yeah, thank you what for bringing that up, Karen. Um, so he says basically um, that Raymond Carver did not enjoy being edited by Gordon Lish. Oh, he didn't? No, he didn't. And he was he was quite resistant. He was like this – because the style of um, what we talk about when we talk about love, you know, his most famous collection yeah. of stories is, is yeah, quite yeah. spare um, and yeah. quite bald and, you know – Lots of lots yeah. of really short sentences. That was not his style at all. <laughs> he was quite florid. That is so interesting. He was quite florid. I had no idea. And like kind of prone to kind of overwriting. And um and Lish just like cut that shit right back. And I think Carver yeah, was Gordon just Lish like, was... okay, I guess if they I'll think this that. is what's right. And um because he was Carver's Carver, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. What I understood. <laughs> Oh, um, exactly. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's a very, um, it can be a very collaborative relationship. However, I think there is, um, that kind of relationship does get, um, that's one of, it's quite expensive, I think. Um, and mm. it's, it sort of belongs more to the old school of publishing where everything was done in-house, whereas now yeah. a lot of stuff is done by freelancers. Um, like freelance yeah. editors, and obviously that's charged yeah. on an hourly rate. Um, and you know, books for like a couple of decades now has not been, well, like, has not been a super rich industry. I think that actually things are getting better, but um, that's good. That's yeah, I, well, I reckon. Um, 
but yeah, there's there's not always the scope, I think, for those really intimate editor-author relationships. Um, yeah. So, but but I think they're super important, and I think that the best books and the best you know the best efforts at publishing do prioritize that relationship um, mm. because you can just. I mean, we see in the example of Carver, it can just make it a completely different book. Mm. Um, so in New Zealand, Lou, do you think there are authors who only work with one editor and build up that relationship? Is that something that happens here? Well, I guess it's more, um, it's probably more salient in the case of um, fiction and narrative. Older. Fic- yeah, fiction. Right. Um, but there are actually... Um, like kind of just a couple of big names in fiction editing and that would be um I mean Jane Parkin is yeah. very well known her name's extremely everywhere. respected yeah. fiction editor um and a lot of authors have really long standing and ongoing relationships with her um and Ashley Young at VUP obviously um does a lot of work on their on all their books um Barbara Larson does a lot of fiction editing in New Zealand as well. And not a lot of others, actually, that I know of. I mean, there are more, but, like, it's it's a limited pool because it's quite a specific skill set. Um, and, yeah. and, and non-fiction editing is actually just a, d- a different kettle of fish as well, again, because it's yeah. all about getting your, getting your facts lined up in a row and conveying things really clearly. Um, so, yeah, I think it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. That's fast, super fascinating. I saw Elizabeth, have to read the piece. I saw Elizabeth yeah. Knox tweeted last night or a few days ago that she's the absolute book is coming out in America, which sorry, um, El- Elizabeth book? Knox's book, the oh, yeah, yeah. absolute book, and that's on uh, Lit Hub's books to look forward to through the year and stuff. And she had tweeted that it's been re-edited and so a bit's been sort of sliced out and some other stuff's been added in wow yeah have you guys read that book no for an um american market would you say yeah maybe or maybe maybe it just made it i mean it is a long ass book yeah but i haven't read it so i couldn't comment on whether any of it's extraneous the new cover looks really awesome too yeah it's nice Mm. eh? it's real smart so, yeah, it'll be interesting. The, the hardcore fans will read both, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which she has a lot. Respect. She does, yeah. Oh, thanks, Lou. That's oh. really interesting. I'll have to thanks, read the guys. article. Can't I wait. talk about it all day. <laughs> but I won't. I mean, I already have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got two things which have been on Netflix, which uh, I think both have a literary twist on them. Ooh. One is Bling Empire. Have you guys heard of it? It keeps on coming up on the main page of my Netflix. I'm like, this looks like rubbish. Well, yes. <laughs> have well, you seen it, Tina? You guys know. Oh. You guys know how I feel about Netflix Indeed. and that I can't see um, it. So okay, so this is the lowbrow. I'm going lowbrow, but it is described as the real life crazy rich Asians. So there's your. I mean, that's oh. a great book. I haven't read Crazy it. Rich Asians is a fantastic book. Kevin Kwan is a fantastic commercial writer. I've written his name right here. So it's about a... Did you read the follow-up? I sure did. Did you like it? I, okay. was yeah, it? it was great. Um, oh. I read the most recent one, um, which is basically um, 
a reimagining of Room with a View, which is just such a fantastic love story. Yeah. Ian Forster's Room with a View. Yeah, yeah. Just one of the most lovely, beautiful love stories ever. Mm. Um, and it's just like, you know, it is what it is. It's light, it's frothy, but it's got substance. Anyway. Sorry. Well, so the, yeah, the TV show is like set in LA and it's about a group of friends. They're all Asian and they're mostly rich. And most of their names start with a K or the like or a K sound. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, in real life, they're probably lumped together as Asian rich people, I guess, to create this TV show. But it seems like they genuinely really like each other. But the most interesting part of this, because if you if you compare it to something like Real Housewives, which I've watched the odd season here and there, but it's not like my, it's I'm yeah. not obsessed with it like some people are. What they have, which I think is so clever, is they have this character called Kevin. And this is where the secret history vibe comes in. Because he's just, like, oh. a normal guy. He, um, He's, with, like, I've put him as the poor person, but he's just, like, normal. Um, <laughs> just he's moved to L.A. and he's, like, trying to be a model he's he's very very handsome and um he pays like a thousand dollars all up in expenses a month and he lives in this like funny little flat with housemates and stuff and so you're watching him interact with all these supremely rich people and observing it and talking about it and being like this is like whack like this lady's having this woman's having Dior like come and do a personal um, you know, they bring the collection to her house so she can try everything oh, yeah. on or like the parties that they have or, you know. So that is the most interesting thing about it because, of course, it's kind of when you think about the Victory Park thing is that seeing wealth through a poorer person's or at least wealthiest person's eyes is more interesting, right? Yeah. I think so. I, oh, yeah. definitely. Rather than – and. I think the conversations that they have are full of so much more substance than Real Housewives because there's a lot about identity because when you think about it, like you have a core Asian cast that's becoming, you know, you have Crazy Rich Asians and what was that movie set with the wedding set in Hong Kong? Uh, and it was like a really big deal that it had come out and it had an Asian, all Asian cast and it had Aquafina in it and I can't remember what it was called. But... This is not what you usually see on television. Um, Kevin is also really interesting because he is adopted. So he grew up in a white family in Philadelphia. So he has that identity of like not really knowing the cultural norms of Asian culture. Um, And you hear about religion, Buddhism, one of the women. Like it's like kind of ridiculous. She, her mother has died and they have the altar for her and they, pray to it and they talk about Buddhism but then she also really believes that her mother's been reincarnated into her baby (laughs) son so it's her just like oh my god is it my mom you know like it's just so there's all these (laughs) interesting parts to it and so I think if you want some really just like light as TV where they're like trying to get their Instagram photos but then it has that uh, and they they kind of put in the like stupid you know they set up like stupid fights and stuff and there's also a really interesting um quite sad toxic relationship going on in there which it's mm. like just out and honest that it's happening it's like quite a gas is that like a subtle thing 
Is that like a subtle thing in the background that they do, um, or is it kind of like a real bit of tension? This woman's friends are all telling her that it's a stupid idea to be with this guy, um, and she's yeah. still seeing him secretly, um, and he'll like he's just like quite crazy. Yeah, it's we've all yeah, been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally relate. So very like that's my lowbrow, and then I will say my highbrow is pretend it's a city, which is. Fran Levowitz and Martin Scorsese's series. They've come back together for a seven-episode Netflix special. Have you watched it, Louisa? I really want to see it. I haven't watched it. (laughs) And I I think that the reason why is that when I – stuff like Just Kids by Patti Smith, stuff that's set in New York in the 70s, I kind of don't want to read it because I'm really fucking jealous of those Mm. people. And they're like, ah, you just had to be there. It was fantastic. You didn't need any money. You could just like... We didn't have money. We didn't need it. We had a cheap (laughs) cheap apartment. They never put the rent up for 20 years. I'm just like, uh, honestly, bitter and twisted up inside when I hear about that shit. I'm like, you guys were so lucky. (laughs) Guys, this is the best... TV show I've watched in years. It's amazing. I'm already it. planning to watch it again. So if you oh, don't know, shit. watch it again. I that know. is that is I mean, truly the 25 tip top praise. Um, yeah, but no one rewatches anything these days. That's amazing. I think it's also it says limited series, so that means it's not going to be on Netflix forever, right? Oh. So. Um, if you don't know Fran Liebowitz, she's a humorist and she's a writer. She hasn't written anything for a long time, um, yeah. but that's okay. Um, cultural commentator definitely hung around like Studio 54. She was discovered writing for Interview magazine for An- Andy Warhol. Everyone asks her about Andy Warhol and she just talks about <laughs> how they actually didn't like each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Martin Scorsese directs her in this and because uh, uh, public speaking was the documentary they did 10 years ago, which is also really oh, awesome. Um, haven't seen And so he's that. come back for more because she's oh, so cool, funny. Cool. And so everything's loosely set around a theme like health, sport, books, art, and she just complains. She just complains 25 minutes and Martin Scorsese just laughs in the background <laughs> at her. Because <laughs> she's super, she's super acerbic and real cranky, classic, kind of old New Yorker lady. Totally. Right? And she hates everything. She hates the, you know, like her, her um, subway station closed yeah. for five months and they like put some artwork up. And, you know, she works with artists and she loves us. And she's like, no. Fix the train. Come on. We don't need that. I've got places to be. And she's a notorious um, or infamous walker. She walks around. She takes public transport. And um, she she also complains a lot, which this kind of goes back to what we talk a lot about, spending too much time on your phones, is that everyone in New York is on their phones and no one's Mm. looking up. And that's her her thing about... um, pretend it's a city so these um right. and live in you like because and, and she hates the tourism and all of this is quite interesting to watch now because this was filmed before the pandemic so now it kind of mm. seems like a love mm. letter to what the city mm. was like, um so it's just so funny it's beautiful it's sad it's smart i mean she is she complains about having no money but she lives in a three million dollar apartment and i was thinking like yeah. comparatively she is probably mm. quite broke to the people that she hangs out with so i'll give her mm. that i mean it's if you're going to look into it of like in terms of privilege and stuff, she's doing okay, but she complains about everything. And she's, you could just pick out 
hundreds of quotes of that. Then there'll be a book that comes out of Fran Leibowitz's point view of a counter book. Yeah, big counter book. Yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah, Scorsese is just. He's just adorable. So is he a participant in it yeah. as well? Is he sort yeah, of they just stand yeah, around cool. and talk and there's these great scenes filmed in Queens at this model of New York City and it's mm. huge and um Scorsese had never seen it before and she put she puts on these um booties she's not allowed to like walk on it without with her her um, standard cowboy boots and you know she walks around and just talks about the city and how it's changed and (laughs) it's well worth re-signing up to Netflix for a month I might do it I it's might just joyful. kind of nip on. Yeah, it's so yeah, I've done, I've done it yeah. before where I've nipped on yeah. to something. And, yeah. Did you guys see yeah. in Viva? I think it was in Viva. There was... <laughs> There was one of those like clothing no. inspo articles about Fran oh. Leibovitz. <laughs> Do they have like a fur coat or something? Yeah, they or? had the they had the straight jeans, they had the cowboy boots, they had the sunglasses. It uh, was very bla- blazer. The blazer. Shit. I mean, she does have a great look, but I just thought she would find it quite funny. My <laughs> favorite one is the Bernie, yeah. the Bernie with his gloves style. <laughs> That's so good. I actually, yeah, I love it. I love um, it. The mission. Oh, the, the meme yeah. is too good. But the, I thought of you, Jenna, because I saw someone had. Have you seen the one? It's a crochet boot. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought he was too cheery. Man, they whipped that up fast. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I should have done that. I think yeah, I'd had the day off. I could have made it, man. You could have just whipped it up. A meme. I could have gone viral. <laughs> um. Gone but yeah, the, the last episode, which is on books, is just brings you back to the beauty of books ah, and looking around the, the world cool. around, just observing the world around you. Yeah, Amazing. so cool. Okay, gosh, guys, we better crack yeah. on. Chop, but chop, chop. Um, TBR piles. Karen, this gossy oh, book. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gossy. Oh, yes, yes. So I was a tad ambitious with my TBR pile last time. I thought I had this big stack of books thinking, yeah, I'm going to read those in a month. But of course, I was knee deep in my Occam (laughs) fiction reading. I don't always get straight to the books (laughs) on my TBR pile. I'm going to be real. So it took up all my time and I'm looking forward to reading some more New Zealand fiction and being able to actually talk about (laughs) it. So that will be be really fun. Um, So on my TBR pile, I've got... The Mirror Book by Charlotte Grimshaw, which I've started reading. This is um, published end of March, and it's Auckland writer and reviewer Charlotte Grimshaw's memoir, um, which is being published by Penguin Random House New Zealand. And it's got a fantastic, stark cover image of um, Grimshaw. Great cover. Good job on the cover. Marty Friedlander photo. Marty Friedlander. She looks like, like... Francois, like, um, what, what's that French singer's name? Anyway, she looks like a French new wave singer. Like, she, She's amazing. And um, I know there will be a lot of interest in this book and it will likely be pretty juicy. And I've started it and oh, she's such a masterful writer. She's just such a good craftsperson. And it's just actually one of those books that I just want to stop everything and read it. So... I've only read one chapter, but, you know, I just can't wait it's to It's extremely absorbing, in. eh? Like, I was doing a check on it at work. I didn't work on this book, but I, you know, I did a little read. And um, 
I was meant to be like checking for like kind of like, we do like final checks and we check for like make sure yeah. the folios are all there stuff like that like banal stuff but I was just like oh my god this is so interesting I just couldn't stop getting sucked into the text um yeah it's it I think for people who know um Grimshaw and her parents who are um you know literati it'll be really interesting and gossy um but even if you don't, the writing just stands on its own. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of interest in this book, so keep an eye out for that. The Mirror Book by Charlotte Grimshaw. Also on my TBR is this book here, which I've started reading, called The Crooked Tree by Una Mannion. And um, she's a short story writer, but this, so this is her first novel, and it sounds great got an endorsement by Sarah Baum on the cover who I just talked about before the writer um, of Handiwork so she was born in Philadelphia lives in Ireland and it begins with a 15 year old narrator whose younger sister is ordered out of the car uh, by an angry mother and told that she has to walk home and it's like five six k's and it's getting really dark she's like 12 years old so it's kind of got um like a real kind of crime kind of like almost like a milkman vibe but um I think yeah it's, it's set in the 80s as well um very menacing very gripping I've read a couple of chapters of that so that's on my TBR oh, pile. sounds good oh yeah I just I just know it's going to be really good and also the writing's really great so far and you can tell she's a short story writer it's really refined and polished um another one that I've got is Kitchen Lee 434 by Alan Warner and this is his first novel in six years, so I'm really excited about that. He wrote a book called Morvern Colour, which I really loved. Um, it was made into a film by the great um, Lynn Ramsey, and Samantha Morton was in the film. The film's great as well. And this one's described by the publisher as remains of the day with cocaine, cocaine and amplifiers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of set in the late 70s in the bucolic English countryside. Um, Sounds right up your alley, so it's really great. It does, <laughs> yeah. And the other book, my final TBR, is The Young Team by um, Graham Armstrong. And I've been really wanting to read this for a while. It's an autobiographical novel which explores drugs, gang culture, poverty, sex and violence. It's set in industrial Scotland. Um, Graham Armstrong overcame struggles with drug addiction and alcohol abuse and violence and he turned his life around and studied English Lit after reading Trainspotting when he was 16 um, and his novels inspired by his own experiences so I can't wait to read it. Cool. That's my TBR. <laughs> Thanks Karen. <laughs> Thanks. Is it my turn? Yes. Okay well I have been reading already this book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Laurie Gottlieb. Mm. Um, the edition I'm holding is actually the large print edition because I thought it looked oh, hot tip, they come quicker at the library. They do. Um, I've discovered that as well. Tip, eh? I'm happy to share it with our listeners. Um, they deserve it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this, um, it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed. Um, so this came out a couple of years ago. It's, it's a, um, a memoir, and Laurie Gottlieb is a therapist, and mm. she 
describes her own how she came to be a therapist, which is actually pretty interesting. She kind of flips all her life between um, kind of wanting to help people and also wanting to write. Um, and so she she goes to med- she drops out of medical school and she's a journalist for a while and then she kind of tries to mesh the two together and become a therapist and kind of use like narrative to help people. Um, she but of course she she talks a lot about how kind of therapy works and how open you have to be with your patients while also maintaining that professional relationship. And I found it fascinating. And I was talking to um, someone else who had read it. And I said to her, did it make you want to be a therapist? She was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like it, it really is such an interesting way of relating to people. And, um, but yeah, this therapist, Laurie, she, her life just goes down the, the, the toilet because her, her partner reveals to her, and I think I can say this because it happens pretty early on, reveals to her that despite the fact that they've been together for two years and when they got together, she had a child, he's now decided that that's not cool with him. He doesn't want to live with a child. And, you know, it's it starts with Laurie being really, really angry and just like wanting to trash him with her friends and then kind of like ends up going to therapy and kind of takes a step back and kind of like looks at, unraveling that narrative of I'm a good person how did this happen to me it came completely out of the blue and then kind of like it's kind of like that 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 sound effect where like the record stops and then it rewinds Mm. um and like you kind of go back and re-examine what actually happened it's fascinating and it's also very gentle and funny um really can't recommend it enough it's it's fantastic um have you finished it no I haven't finished it so I may hate it, <laughs> but I don't think I will. Um, so, yeah, really recommend that one. And the other one I have not started. It's called At Freddy's by Penelope Fitzgerald. Have either of you guys heard of this book? No. I've heard of her, but I haven't heard of that one, no. So, Did she win the booker? Is she the one that won the I booker? Think, I think so. Again, I've heard of her, but I don't think I've read her. Um it says that she's underrated on the first page of this book. There's a little about. Um, she won the Booker Prize with Offshore in 1979. Mm. Um, this book was featured in an article, I think on The Guardian, which I will find and link to, about books that are funny. Books oh, that make people. Cool. And it's a bunch of authors That's talking hard. about books that make them laugh. That's what we need. Exactly. Yeah. And I love a laugh, but I'm also, yeah. you know, it's not easy to make someone laugh when they're reading to make them actually laugh out loud so Mm. I have high hopes um, for this book called At Freddy's Um, I thought it sounded interesting it's the 1960s London's West End Freddy is the formidable proprietress at the Temple Stage School Um, so it's kind of like a like a school kind of like a theatre school like yeah ensemble cast yeah Yeah, sounds sounds great great. eh? Yeah, it does. Um, So, yeah, really looking forward to that. Have not cracked it yet. So that's going to be a little treat for me. Um, Lovely backlist treat. Nice. I haven't read any backlist for ages. It's the best. Um, No. Speaking of backlist, it's not on the list, but I just want to give a quick shout out to one of my favorite books of all time, which I just re-listened to on audiobook, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. Oh, it's just such... Oh, Karen, you've got to. I think you would really enjoy it. Like, it, it is 
kind of aimed at YA audiences, but I think it actually is evergreen and not in a Harry Potter way, in an actual true way. Like, <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> all right, like it, it's for real, just beautiful, um, really, really timeless story of these two sisters who just have this bizarre family and have lived this bizarre life in a crumbling like castle that their father bought before he lost all his money because he couldn't write another novel. It's just, it's quirky, it's um, it's funny, um, it's dark. It's a YA book, eh? Yeah, like I say, it is YA, yeah. But, yeah. but it also, I think, it doesn't give me YA vibes. Like, it's, yeah. it's very kind of like, kind of like um, My Family and Other Animals mm. kind of vibes. Great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I just... When I listened to an audiobook, I was like, I know every line of this book. Like, that's how Aww. well I know it. It's truly amazing. An old friend. Yeah, just like slipping into a warm bath. Very comforting. Maybe I should listen to that on audio. Oh, you should. It's on the Libby app. Yeah. Gotta love that Libby app. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to read the two leftover ones for the fiction, Occam Fiction. So I've read about 100 pages of Toto Among the Murderers. Um which, oh, so Karen, you can't talk about it, but it's about, it's set in London, <laughs> London? Set in England, and it's about the kind of hippie era and based around, oh, I can't remember the name of the, the hitchhike killer, hitchhiker killers. What were they called? Ro- um, Fred and Rosemary West. That's oh, right, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of loosely based around that. And then um, the only other one I've got to read is Bug Week. Oh, you own that, eh? I own that. I've read it. I'm like picking my way through it. It's fantastic. Cool. So good. Um, I was going to text you this morning to bring it, and then I was like, oh, Louisa has to leave the house at like 7 a.m. She would have already gone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I'll, I'll zip through those, and it'll be great. Toto is um, – I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. It just, um, it's just what I feel like reading, you know? Yeah. 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 Cool. Oh, so much to look forward to. Well, thanks for putting up with us, listeners. I <laughs> <laughs> um, should be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> it's really great to be back and talking about our summer reads and all that yeah. stuff. I think it's going to be a really great um, year of books. I've just been seeing all the... All the names coming up. And so that, many yeah, good books this so year. Good. We say it if we say it every year, don't we? But this well, year, it's always true. Like so a, yeah, yeah, so many good yeah, books. It's always true. Um, thank you to Tina. Thank you to Jane. Thank you to the spin-off and for you for listening. Please subscribe and also rate us. When you rate us, it really helps us know that other people know that we exist especially now the high low's gone and please feel free to share the paper cuts pod across your social media uh instagram twitter paper at paper cuts pod kakite kakite kia ora e te iwi te ai butler here podcast manager at the spin-off if you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.